0: Well, I don't know if you've come across that inspirational quote. You might even have this up in your house somewhere on a lovely canvas picture. There are no strangers here, only friends we haven't yet met. Now, I can't for the life of me find out the source of that quote. Some say it comes from William Yeats, the poet. Others say it comes from Roald Dahl. And somebody else said it comes from Marge Simpson, from The Simpsons. So if any of you out there can trace the source of that quote, please let me know. But it kind of fits with our theology of welcome at Regent Hall. You see, last year in 2019, Regent Hall spent time exploring its unique identity before God going forwards and what that might look like in the future. So we prayed for many months and we were given a theology of welcome which is embedded in this vision statement and you've already heard it this morning. We will be a visible vibrant church bringing God's transforming welcome to life in the world, in the heart of London and into people's lives and that's very real for us at Regent Hall. Every single word of that was prayed over The vision statement was edited down to 25 words, so every word in that that statement has some significance. It's had to fight for its place in that vision statement. And at the heart of that vision statement, emerging out of the words, is some actions. And at the heart of our actions, at the moment, as a first step, is a welcome and advice hub. And the Welcome and Advice Hub that we're creating and, and hopefully are going to open in the next few weeks offers what it says on the tin Welcome and a professional information, advice and guidance service Now other things are going to emerge from this as we go forward new events, new initiatives, new projects, new programme but they will all emerge out of this what we're calling a gateway to welcome this Welcome and Advice Hub. And it's that, that Welcome and Advice Hub is going to be critical to Regent Hall mission going forwards. I've got to be honest and say that lockdown has tested the vision. It's been through fire in the last few months. Is the Welcome and Advice Hub still needed? Can we afford it? Will there be people out there to help us resource it? Will there be volunteers to help the paid staff? Yet the vision has stood. In a post-COVID world, we are convinced that this welcome and advice hub is going to be needed more than ever. So I'm glad we took time last year as a church to work out our identity theologically and practically for such a time as this. Identity, it's a big word, isn't it? And there's a bit of an overused cliche about identity in Christian preaching right now, and it's the phrase, know who you are and know whose you are. But in a sense, that phrase, know who you are and know whose you are, is a great strapline for the book of Exodus. You see, Exodus is the, the epic story of an enslaved nation, Israel, delivered from bondage to a new freedom by God. And as the people emerge through this slavery, through this oppression, out into the new world that they're being given, they're having to ask themselves, so who are we now in this new world? And whose are we? Who are we? And who do we belong to? Much like we're going through today, as we come out of some of this very difficult experience, who are we now? Who is the Salvation Army now? What is Regent Hall now? And to whom do we belong? Our text today, in chapter one, describes this identity crisis for us. The Israelites are in Egypt as Israelite migrants, like very much like modern day illegal migrants. Joseph, who used to protect them and their heritage and their religious history, he's dead. The new king that's come in, the new Pharaoh, didn't know Joseph, wasn't connected to him, and so their identity as God's people is no longer protected, it's being lost in time. And Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, is one of those tiny-minded brutes of history who divides the world into us and them through systematic slavery and by genocide. In other words, ordering Israelite midwives to kill all newborn babies that they deliver, to stop the population, to cull the population. Don't be fooled by this, this is ethnic cleansing. It's a brutal bit of history, and in times like this, you need to know your identity, who you are, and who you belong to. Well, into the story, into chapter one, appear two Israelite midwives. Their names are Shifra and Pua. Shifra means beautiful. Pua means splendid. And Shifra and Pua are under orders to help stem the Israelite population by that brutal Pharaoh, by killing newborn babies that they deliver at birth. But Shifra and Pua refuse. In honour of the God of life they serve, the Israelite midwives refuse to kill the baby boys. They choose to let them live. The midwives in that moment know who they are and to whom they belong. Now maybe Shifra and Pua were just two individual characters, and that's great, you can read the text that way. Or maybe has been suggested, they're kind of figurehead characters in the story, representing the whole profession of Israelite midwives. And that's suggested by their names, beautiful and splendid. Now, at one level, it doesn't matter how we read the text because the significance is the same. But just imagine an army of Israelite midwives, a whole army of them in protest because they know who and whose they are. The power of mighty women. Just saying. And this question of identity runs through the Exodus story from beginning to end. Think of Moses with dual nationality, born to a Hebrew priestly family but raised as an Egyptian by Pharaoh's daughter. Who am I he will ask and who do I belong to? Like Shifra and Pua, Moses needs to understand that his identity ultimately lies not in lesser loyalties but to the God of life. And the question of identity runs through Exodus and therefore for us As Christians who are we and whose are we in God whose name is Yahweh and whose son is Jesus. Now how does this link to our theology of welcome this morning? Well the Israelites are given by a mandate by the God of life to be life givers like the Israelite midwives and in particular within that welcome that they're to offer they're offered to welcome to strangers. Why? Because, says God, you were once strangers and I delivered you from bondage. Because of this, you must do the same. You must repeat this life-giving mission to strangers. Exodus. You shall not oppress a resident stranger. You know the heart of a stranger. For you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. Because of your bondage, because of your collective experience as the oppressed in a foreign land, says God, you know the heart of a stranger. You know what that feels like. You know what to do. Don't forget that, says God. Don't forget, you have all at one time or another been that stranger. And don't forget, I welcomed you. So we have to root our identity in God's welcome, who in Christ opens his arms to all through the cross, through his death, through his life, through his resurrection, including welcoming all of creation itself. And for us, welcome is not an option, it's a mandate a mandate to treat each other and to treat strangers in particular as friends and equals made in the image of God. Amen. So all this work to open our doors again at Regent Hall, all this work that's going on, if you could see it now, the space is being created to create a new and fresh welcome and advice hub to provide a warm and kind and welcoming environment, to share our space, to share our time, to share our resources. It's our critical mission, for the world is just outside our doors. We know that at Regent Hall, don't we, church family? We've always said that, that the minute you open the doors, the world is there from all over the globe. Yes, Oxford Street's quieter at the moment, but it's not silent. And there are still those people. We have tourists and residents outside our doors. We have employees and contractors. They're there now. They'll be there when I go tomorrow. We have schools. We have surgeries. We have hospitals on our doorsteps. We have shoppers. We have students. We have rough sleepers and all this in a post-Covid context. It's risky to welcome the unfamiliar and new into our lives. We tend to feel more comfortable with the things that are like us. Yet strangers, says the scripture, are potentially angels in disguise. They are blessings. There's a holiness in strangers. Strangers bless us, and they teach us, and they offer us new visions. When Abraham welcomes three strange guests in Genesis, he doesn't know that they're going to turn out to bless his life in immeasurable ways. And this is why Paul says to the Hebrews, reflecting back on that story, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this, i.e. Abraham, have entertained angels without realising it. What about that? The holiness of strangers. The word for strangers in the New Testament is the Greek word xeno, x-e-n-o. We know that word because of the word xenophobia, hatred, or fear of strangers. It's very much part of our contemporary world, isn't it? This kind of fear of others in our society. But the original Greek word is interchangeable in its meaning. It can mean stranger, it can mean guest, and it can mean host, like Jesus. Jesus sometimes comes amongst us as host, but sometimes he lets himself be the guest at our table. He lets himself, in particular, be loved by those excluded by the religious establishment, by those who like others who are like themselves. He loves the friendship of those strangers. Matthew 25 For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. This is Jesus, the guest. And there were a few things more important to Jesus than practising a theology of welcome. It's clear in the Gospels that welcome most clearly defines his life and his mission. Before there was healing, there was always a welcome for Jesus. Before a miracle, there was always a welcome. He welcomed sinners and outcasts to join him at the table to eat. He welcomed those considered by his culture invisible, children and particularly women at that time, to sit and discuss important issues with him in a way that society of the day never would allow. Now this kind of welcome is risky because it asks a lot of us. It could lead you see to deeper relationships. It could lead to being drawn into somebody's life that we don't know, or to share feelings that we feel a bit uncomfortable with. And yet our identity, said Reinhold Niebuhr, rests in what he calls borderless love. Don't you think that's beautiful, that concept? Borderless love. And to do this, we have to understand that we are all residents in exile. We are all guests invited to the table in God's beloved community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what will it take for us, the church, to construct and practice this theology of welcome? Well, it might be big things, big strategic things like setting up a welcome and advice hub, or our chaplaincy work, or our community engagement projects that we pray will come out of these new initiatives but it's also small things and small gestures like simple kind acts much like Regent Hall has always done and has a history of doing and we continue those things and we continue to do them even better than we've ever done them before you see we don't have to be heroic about welcome big and small gestures have cosmic significance for the world that God loves. So let's be encouraged this morning, church. There's no doubt that a theology of welcome is challenging, but it can be radically transforming. Transforming when our welcome flows from the ultimate welcome that runs from God's heart right through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, like an unbreakable thread For God's posture, as Jesus shows us, is one of welcome to all. So may we hold to our identity in God as God's welcoming community. May welcome drive all we are and do from this day forwards. May we experience joy and may we bear the cost of welcome. And may we cross boundaries and borders that separate us one from another.